And so these ships that are built, they join the fleet and transport food and resources. They transport goods and people where they are needed. And think about this. When a ship is launched, you may have not, never seen this before, but many ships, I think almost all ships actually, when they're launched, a, a bottle of champagne is taken and it's broken against the ship as a celebration that the ship is ready to sail. But as soon as that champagne is broken across the bow of the ship and everyone celebrates the accomplishment of the builders and the workers and the designers, as soon as it leaves the shipyard, the builders have no control over it. It may be captained by a fool who runs the boat into the rocks. It may be chartered to smuggle things like drugs or weapons or even slaves. Its crew might be treated harshly. It may serve very well for many years, yet even so, it will eventually wear out and become obsolete. Its eventual uh, fate is nearly certain to be dismantled in a uh, shipbreaking yard, and that's probably going to be located in a country where worker safety and environmental protections are lax. It passes like the puffs of wind that once powered ships, first into rusty bones, then into a mix of recycled metal and discarded waste, and finally out of human knowledge. You see, ships are good, but they do not last forever, and they can be used for things that they were not intended to be used for. As long as we live, we must work in this kind of tension, this kind of tension that we see in this mental picture of this shipbuilding. This is how the writer of Ecclesiastes, the preacher, teacher, or philosopher, however we want to translate the Hebrew word koalet, represents work. Important, needed, but sometimes questions its lasting value. So let's read Ecclesiastes 3, 9 through 15. The writer begins with this question, what gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, as we come to this passage in Ecclesiastes, Lord, we, thank, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We thank you for the, the realism that the writer speaks with. And yet, Lord, we also thank you that there is great hope. And we pray that you would help us to see that and to live that this day and for many days to come. Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Just grabbing my water here. So as we continue our series, Shalom in the Home and Everywhere Else, last week we looked at Shalom of Education, and we used two texts. We used Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Daniel chapter 1. And in those texts, we saw that God has designed education to grow in knowledge of Him and His world. And from Deuteronomy 6, we were reminded of the importance of knowing who God is, of knowing who He is and what He's done and and who we are in relation to God. And it's clear that to have a foundation of who God is is then central to learning about God's world. And we saw from Daniel chapter 1 that those who have a solid foundation of knowing God can freely grow in knowledge of His world, even if that knowledge comes from non-Christian or unbiblical sources, because all truth is God's truth. Today we move from the theme of work, I'm sorry, today we move to, to the theme of work, and this is not an unfamiliar theme for us here at Covenant Community Church. We've done whole series on the theme. I've preached standalone sermons. It's often come up in texts that we've explored in series in biblical books. And while this theme is something we've explored before, it's important for us to place it in the context of shalom. And this morning we'll see that our work doesn't always, maybe even rarely, feel like shalom, and yet our work is given by God as a gift for us and for bringing shalom. Now, for those of you who have read Ecclesiastes or know something of it, you might wonder, why are we going to the Debbie Downer of books in the Bible to find about good work or to find the good of work? Uh, In fact, the teacher-preacher of Ecclesiastes begins by saying, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? I mean, the first two and a half chapters answer this question somewhat strangely. There are positives pointed out throughout these chapters, but then there's this going back to all is vanity. Now, I'm not going to do a deep dive here, but vanity here means fleeting, here and then gone. And some commentators see this as a purely negative sense, like it's all bad, it's, there's nothing good, it's all just comes and goes, it's fleeting. Some would say that since there's no lasting value, it's all bad, which does make some sense, but there's also this sense that there is some good even if it doesn't last forever. There's these ideas that the writer of Ecclesiastes will continually come back to throughout these first three chapters, and it keeps kind of coming back to like that there are things that we can enjoy and have in this life, and yet in the end, he says, it's vanity. So, but other commentators have said, well, the word that's translated vanity can also mean wind or breath. Both are momentary, right? Uh, both are here and gone, right? The, the wind, I mean, the, the breeze, it's, it's nice, particularly on a warm day, right? It doesn't last forever, but it comes and it brings relief, but then it's gone. And our breath, I mean, you think about it, I, I breathe in and I breathe out. 
It's momentary, but it's an important part of that moment, right? If I don't breathe in and breathe out in this moment, there's not another moment to come. And so this idea of wind or breath might give us a little bit of sense of what's happening here in Ecclesiastes. Both wind and breath are momentary, but they are valuable. And for the movement, they, they bring good for that moment, right? They bring good. So either way, it's clear the teacher is seeing all things under the sun as not lasting like we long for them to. I kind of lean towards this latter view that while there is good and that we need, there are needed things, they still aren't lasting like we desire them to. And so the, we come to this uh, verse, ch- verse 9 in chapter 3, and the, the writer, the teacher, the preacher, the philosopher, he asked this question, what gain has the worker from his toil? It really is the question of Ecclesiastes, at least this first part. What gain has the worker from his toil? You know, it's interesting. I was talking to a friend recently who grew up in the church, but would say that he's not convinced with Christianity. He's not convinced. He would say that in his own words. And he asked this very question of me just about a week ago. He didn't ask it out of despair, but he was asking it wondering, does what I do have value? Does good come from it? You know, I think it's a question that many of us ask at one point or another. It's a question that the writer of Ecclesiastes is asking as well. What we see in our text, even in the midst of this question, is a realistic hope for the weary worker, hope for the one wondering if their work has meaning and value, hope for the child who dreams about what God might be calling them to do in the future. And we'll see that this morning, that because God is at work, our work has value. Because God is at work, our work has value. And we'll see this as, I'm just going to look at these three kind of movements of the passage, God, gift, and good. First, verses 10 through 11 and 14 and 15, look specifically at God. And what does understanding who He is and and that He is at work, how does that then inform the rest of this passage? In Tim Keller's book, Every Good Endeavor, he says this. He says, Nothing within this world is sufficient basis for a meaningful life here. If we base our lives on work and achievement, on love and pleasure, or on knowledge and learning, our existence becomes anxious and fragile. Because circumstances in life are always threatening the very foundation of our lives, and death inevitably strips us of everything we hold dear. Ecclesiastes is an argument that dependence on a gracious Creator God, not only in abstract belief, is a precondition for an unshakable, purposeful life. You see, what Keller is saying here is what we're, I was hinting at earlier about Ecclesiastes looking at all of these things in life, these good things, work and achievement, love and pleasure, knowledge and learning. 
that they are good things, but they are fleeting. They are like breath, like the wind. And if that's where our life is based on, it's a very shakable foundation. But what the writer of Ecclesiastes is showing us and what Scripture shows us over and over again is that dependence on a gracious creator, God. Dependence, not just some abstract belief, but a dependence is a precondition for an unshakable, purposeful life. And this is the conclusion the teacher has come to here in our passage. He lays before us what we call the sovereignty of God, his providential care and control. He, has, he says, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. And then in 14 and 15, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. He lays before us the sovereignty of God, his providential care and control. It is God who has given our business, our task. It is God who has placed everything within its time. It is, within its time, it is beautiful. We're reminded that we live and move and work in God's timing. We can't speed up or slow down. We can't thwart God's purpose. And while His timing is beautiful, the writer says that we have a desire for eternal knowledge. And that's both good and bad. This eternity in our hearts helps us to have these longings, to, to realize that the world is not the way it was supposed to be. And we have these longings for something that will last forever. And so we long for that. We seek after that, which is a good and right thing. It helps us to seek after and to know God and who He is. But it also can be bad as well, right? We see that the good is that we have this capacity for eternal longings, for eternal things, but it also says that we desire to know what God knows. We desire to know how eternity is, works itself out, how what has been done from the beginning to the end, what God has done and is doing. We want to know the mind of God so that we can make sure everything is going to work according to our plan. You see, it's the same thing that Adam and Eve in the garden wanting to be like God. That is this bad side of this eternity in our hearts. We seek to know more than what God has given us. We can't comprehend God's plan in its entirety, and yet we have this longing to do so. 
And he says that that is not where our good and our, where we find what is most precious and good in our lives. That the security that we long for in knowing, <laughs> right, God's plan, it's not in knowing God's plan that we find security. It's actually in knowing God himself. Right? I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added nor nothing taken away. God has done it and that people fear before him. Those who fear the Lord, who know God, find their security in what he has done, what is enduring forever, earth is full of futility and unreliability, the writer of Ecclesiastes reminds us. And security must be found elsewhere than all these things that even in their goodness do not provide for us. It is in God's grace and sovereignty that we find this hope, that we find this security. And when we understand this security, when we understand who God is, just like in everything else in life. When we have a right understanding of God, then we can have a right understanding of our work. And that's where we see, as the writer does, that it is a gift. Right? It's not just God's sovereignty that is revealed here, but the character of God as a giver. This aspect of God's character is repeated several times in Ecclesiastes. Here we see it as uh, including food and drink and joy. In other, other places of Ecclesiastes, we see it including wisdom and knowledge, wealth, honor, integrity, the world itself and life itself. And so God has given us these good gifts. And the writer he, 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 even this gift, he confirms that this gift sometimes can feel like toil. And yet, even amid the toil, we are to take pleasure in our toil and enjoy our work. This is not an unknowing, hey, just be joyful platitude. It's not like, hey, just turn that frown upside down, have some joy. But it is, the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying it's a sign that God is in the world. Right? The fact that he gives us work, that there is good that comes, it is a gift that is given, that it provides joy and food and drink. It's actually a signpost in the world for us to remind us that God is here, that God is good. Even if we don't see it clearly, what that means for us in every situation it is to be a reminder. Work is given by God as a gift for joy, for good food, or for good, for food and drink, and to find pleasure. To find satisfaction in their work as a gift of God, we have a responsibility to pursue this gift. This gift is not by working harder, nor is it by finding tranquility without labor. 
First, we find this gift by not seeking after money and power as our goal. And second, we put relationships before, in their proper place, people before profit or power. We see that here and throughout Ecclesiastes. But most of all, what this means is pursuing something that is beyond the scope of Ecclesiastes. Right? To pursue someone beyond the scope of Ecclesiastes, the ultimate source of true delight, of true satisfaction, Jesus Christ. Because he was the one who labored unto glory, labored to keep the law for us, labored to the end on the cross, labored conquering Satan's sin and death, he can offer us true satisfaction for our lives, including our work. You see, without Jesus, we will have to labor not for the joy, not for the satisfaction, but to make a name for ourselves, right? To take what is not ours for ourselves. So this gift of work is only fully realized in Jesus Christ, right? The one who fully labored unto glory. The one whose work is full and complete. The one whose work transforms our work, right? I am making all things new, Jesus says. He reminds us that when we work as those laboring for the Lord, the work is good. The work is a gift. And the writer of Ecclesiastes even sees this goodness, not the work not just being as a gift, but also for goodness in verses 12 through 13. Our work is not just for ourselves, but to do good. He says, to put in the context of our series, to do shalom, to bring shalom. Right? And what's amazing about us as those who are followers of Christ, we can look at this passage in Ecclesiastes and take the words of Jesus that he spoke to his disciples and to us seriously, that all of the prophets, that all of the Psalms, that all of the Old Testament is about him. And he transforms it. Right? And so we have a different perspective. While the teacher looks at life through a glass half empty, we look at life through a glass half full and we know who is going to complete the filling. For we are the witnesses of the life, death, and resurrection of our new and greater teacher, Jesus, whose power did not die with the end of his days under the sun. He announces that the kingdom of God has come. The world we now live in is in the process of being brought under Christ's rule and redeemed by God in its fullness. What the writer of Ecclesiastes did not know and that he was keenly aware of. He was keenly aware that he did not 
have the full vision of what was to come, is that God would send His Son not to condemn the world, but to restore the world to the way God intended it to be. The days of the fallen world under the sun are passing in favor of the kingdom of God on earth where God's people do not need the lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God is their light. Of the kingdom where God lives again with his people. Because of this, the world in which we live is not only the remnant of a fallen world, but is the precursor of the kingdom of Christ, the world to come. When we understand that that is the world that we live in, that is the lens that we look through, it is not a glass half empty, but it is a glass half full that is being filled by the Savior. Our work becomes not merely vanity or fleeting. Right, the work that we do as followers of Christ therefore does, or at least could. We don't have that vision still yet to know what all things are going to be brought under the Lordship, into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We do know that some will be brought in as the beauty of the nations, of the beauty of what has been built and done. We don't know for sure, but they could have eternal value that could not have been visible to the teacher in Ecclesiastes. The work not only in the world under the sun that we do, we do it in the kingdom of God. So how do we see this? How does this help us? Well, to begin with, it affirms, the Ecclesiastes affirms that the toil, oppression, failure, meaningless sorrow, and pain that we experience in our work is real. Right? It is real. Not everything that we do will be joyful. Not everything that we do will be pleasurable because of the sin that affects us and our world. But Christ has come, and life for his followers has not yet become the way it is supposed to be, but it is the promise to come. So if our experience of work is hard and painful despite God's promises of good, you're not crazy. But do not lose sight of the fact that God's promises are true. But they have not all been fulfilled in the present moment. At the very least, it may be a comfort that Scripture dares to depict the harsh realities of life and work while yet proclaiming that God is Lord. You see, we're all in this weird moment <laughs> where our work is not for many of us, what we intended or desired it to be. For some, it's not having work at all. For others, it's a disembodied kind of work. For others, it's a, just a, a totally different, different way in how things have been done for so long. And it just feels like our very being is being sucked from us. 
And so Ecclesiastes says, yes, that experience is real and true, but it is not the ultimate experience. It does not have the final say in our work, in our lives. Despite the worst that he sees and experiences, the teacher does not abandon hope in God's world. He does not abandon hope in God. He finds the moments of joy, the sparks of wisdom, and the ways to cope with our world. If God had abandoned humanity to the consequences of the fall, then there would be no meaning, no good in work at all. Instead, the teacher finds that there are meaning and goodness in work. His complaint, our complaint, the longing of his heart, of our heart, is that they are not always the way they're supposed to be. They're incomplete, uncertain, limited. This complaint is real and true, but this complaint and lament has been transformed by Jesus. You see, Jesus has promised He is making all things new. In those words, our complaints, our longings, are turned to hope, filled with joy. May this be the vision of our work, the vision of our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, the, for your word, for the, through the writer of Ecclesiastes, for his honesty, yet for his hope as well, for his sense that things are not the way they are supposed to be, and yet pointing us to the one who will make things the way they're supposed to be. And Lord, who reminds us that you have given us work as a gift. That you've given it to us to work in accord with you to bring goodness. That we find pleasure. That we can enjoy the things of life that work provides. Lord, we pray that you would help us, your people, to labor unto glory until your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.